Last time, officially in Romans 14 in our study of Romans. Uh, would you read with me verse number 1 all the way through verse 23? Here we go, verse 1. Paul says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So first week we talked about who are these weak and who are these strong. You can get an idea of it as we read these verses. Who the weak? This is the, Paul's wording. This is not mine. These people are not morally weak. They have high standards. Verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything. While the weak person eats only vegetables. And I don't harm the tone of the passage by saying some go all the way and only eat vegetables and some only eat animals that are defined as clean animals to the Jews in Leviticus 11. And then there's a 1 Corinthians version which they would not eat meat that's offered to idols, though that's not specifically brought up in this chapter. Verse 3, so one person eat anything, the weak eats only vegetables. They're strict. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. And that goes something like this. I can't believe you can be right with God and eat that. The Bible clearly says, verse 4, Who are you? We could almost read it differently. Who are you? We could read it that way. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Translation, he doesn't answer to you, she doesn't answer to you. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Switches gears. Again, another version of the weak and the strong. One person esteems one day as better. It could be one day of the year, one day of the month, one day of the week. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. I always pause and ask this. So who's right? Each one, the Bible says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So here Paul doesn't take a stance on who's right. He says, just know why you believe what you believe. Don't just go blindly, have a reason, have a Bible reason. Back to the Scripture. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. It's for the Lord. The one who eats, they'll eat anything. Eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, doesn't eat anything. Abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. We could say for his vegetables. Or for his clean food, clean animals food. For none of us, and I like to maybe emphasize it this way. For none of us, we Christians, lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, remember we put kind of two frames. See yourself living and then here you're in the dying frame. You know what, you can, you can glorify God in both frames. You, the point here is, what if I'm strong in the faith and then I'm the weak in the faith? You can glorify God in both of those frames. Verse 8. For if we live we live to the Lord. And if we die, uh-oh, surely, yes, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. I believe what Paul's doing here, he can be the Lord of the strong and the Lord of the weak. He can get glory out of each of their lives. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? You're judging. You can't be right with God. Okay. Or you. Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment. Everybody hear this fresh this morning. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, answering to the Lord, but rather decide, this, this decide here, so the first part of verse 13, 
Don't reach a conclusion and pass judgment on someone when it's not your place to do it. They're not going to answer to your list of rules. So stop it. Don't do it any longer. But equally, you can tell verse 13, he's giving a word to the strong in the faith. Rather, decide. The word decide there is the same one as not passing judgment. So he's saying, don't reach wrong conclusions. You over there, stop reaching wrong conclusions. And then he's telling this group over here, you need to decide, reach a certain conclusion. You, you want to you have a judgment? You want to have a judgment on your end? Reach this judgment, this conclusion. Decide, determine, never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Just determine it. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. It's a huge statement. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, and this is, by what you eat there just stands for lots of things in, in modern day church, modern day Christianity. In their day it was eating what they deemed in Old Testament times as unclean animals or maybe meat from an animal that had been offered to an idol. But his point here, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Christ died for them. Can you not give up some things for them? Verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Don't live that lifestyle. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Translation, those are not the most important things in the grand scheme of things. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So in other words, is it righteous? Will it break the peace? We need to ask ourselves, well, what about my joy? Remember that your main joy is not in eating meat. Or in exercising liberty. Your main joy is in God. Is in the Holy Ghost. That's the overarching thing of this chapter. Be willing to give up some things. Because you still have these things. Verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ. Like that. Is acceptable to God. And approved by men. So then. Let us pursue what makes for peace. Strong in the faith in the building this morning. Hear that. Let us pursue what makes for peace. And for mutual upbuilding, not just your personal upbuilding, everybody being built up. Do not, for the sake of food, there's the emphasis, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good. So that's what's wrong. Verse 21, here's what's good. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine. Uh-oh, same level. I have to talk about that today, don't we? It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or, in case you haven't covered it, do anything that causes your brother to stumble. But I know, that, okay, verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself. And God, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. That's the blessed person. They're living a life. They don't walk around feeling guilty. Verse 23. But whoever has doubts, I don't know if this is right or wrong. I think it's wrong. They keep saying it's not. I don't know. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. There's a debate about the word condemned. I believe mainly it's his own conscience condemns him. But also... The Lord condemns him because it's a wrong action. Why? Verse 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. You don't know that it's right. And you're going to eat anyway? Really? For whatever does not proceed from faith. So we're going to end our message today with three categories. Whatever does not proceed from this one category... If it's out of the other two categories, it's sin. Only what proceeds from faith is godly. All right. Help me out real quick. We've had two main messages in the last three weeks. This is part two of last week's message. We had one main point out of the chapter for those who are weak in the faith. They go through life. They have lots of rules, lots of restrictions. Have to do these things. Can't do those things. 
What was the one main exhortation of the chapter to those who are weak in the faith? I'm going to supply a sentence. You finish the last word. To the weak in the faith, do not... Say it louder. Do not judge. Budge instead of judge. Budge. Yeah, but they're not living by my rules. Right, those are your rules. Are they living by God's rules? Well, I guess, but they're... God's not going to judge them by your rules. He's going to judge them by His Word. So if you have a lot of extra things that are not in the Word of God, budge, don't judge. Live your life, let them live theirs. They'll answer to God, you'll answer to God. Last week, we saw this. To the strong in the faith, we have a two-part. Catch this. One main point for the weak in the faith, four points for the strong in the faith. God has much more to say to the strong in the faith. If that's you this morning, let's be honest, you've got more to answer for. We learned three things last week. The strong in the faith must not avoid the weak. So guys, don't think this. I just assume those people that have all those rules that are not in the Bible, I just assume they don't come to grace for you. Go somewhere else. There's plenty of other churches. I can name some that you can go to if you want to have all your rules. Don't think that. Welcome them here because how else are they going to grow? Second thing we learn. The strong in the faith must not despise the weak. Don't think, man, I am so sick of them. Don't lose patience. Don't get frustrated. Don't get irritated. Remember, it is only God's grace that has shown you what you know. They're just uninformed. And by the way, you are uninformed in some other areas that you don't know about yet. You are weak in the faith in some areas. So you're strong in a lot of things. Don't get frustrated, despising, and irritated with them in those things. The third thing we looked at last week is the strong in the faith by their actions must not grieve the weak. And this idea is offending them, creating turmoil, divisiveness, offending them in a way that disrupts the peace in our church. Strong in the faith, it is up to you. These three things, don't avoid them, don't despise them, don't grieve them, don't offend them intentionally by doing what you do. You say, well, they just need to get over it and grow up. No, wrong answer. Fourth thing today, this is today's message. The strong in the faith must not cause the weak to stumble. The strong in the faith must not cause the weak to stumble. Look back at verse number 15. Actually, we could look back at verse 13. Therefore, do, therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any, any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the work. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Don't cause them to stumble. So don't offend them by your actions to where they're upset and don't want to talk to you. But also, worse than that, you say, is there anything worse than that? Worse than that is not just offending them, but making them stumble by your actions. They literally will fall into sin. Hear me quickly. I'm going to give you two or three lists of three things and kind of big picture and then we'll get into more specifics in a little bit. So here's the first thing. A Christian, a true Christian's main concern should always be this. God, what do you think? Here's an activity. What do you say? And you go to the Word of God and in your mind that settles it between you and God. Lord, your opinion of this activity and me doing it or not, that's the main thing. But a strong in the faith Christian has to take another consideration. Lord, I also realize, according to verse 7, that no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. So my actions are affecting other people. People are watching me. And so I need to be aware. God, I know I need to love other people as much as my rights. I can't go through life saying, hey, I know about liberty in Christ. I know what the Bible says. They're wrong. I'm going to do these things. No matter what, they just need to grow up. Be careful thinking that. Love others more than your rights. Quickly, let's write down. Three things are crystal clear out of Romans 14. This is not my teaching. This is the Scripture's teaching. Three things crystal clear. Verse number, well, I'll give it to you in a moment. Here's the first one. You ready? No food or drink is unclean of itself. Let that sink in. So, Jeff, where'd you get that? Verse 14. I know and am persuaded in Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Verse 20. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. That does not mean that murder is clean, lying, adultery, on and on, embezzling, violence. That doesn't mean those things. It's talking about this discussion, meat, drinks, those types of things. I'm going to say a few things today that some are not going to really like because it may be new or not what you expect to hear. But I want to give a Bible stance. So here's the first one. 
No food or drink is unclean of itself. What that means is there's not a piece of meat on the planet that if you were to maybe have an ounce of it as hamburger, cook it up and eat it, watch, it is not defiled and it is not defiling. No meat. None. There is no drink on the planet that in and of itself is defiled or defiling. So again, we got this one ounce of meat, but do you know that it was offered to that? And they killed this just last night, and it was offered to this idol. And what if just one ounce of that got mixed in with four or five pounds of meat, and it got divvied out, and it just, it just defiled the whole thing of meat. We had the big cookout, and we're all defiled, and we're just not right with God because there is not a piece of meat on the planet. There's no drink that if you have the 20 ounces of water, if we were to get a little dropper, a little medicine dropper, and just put one little drop, well, and I know how some of you are thinking, okay, wait a minute, okay, one drop to 20 ounces, okay, I can go with that. What if two drops was in there? What if three, okay, three, what if 20 drops? Oh, no, wait a minute, that's one drop per ounce. Oh, you really, what's he saying? What's this implying? There's nothing unclean of itself. There's not. Read the chapter. Two more things are crystal clear from this chapter. Next one. It is wrong for the person who thinks it is wrong. That comes out of verse number 14. So again, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. I have a bottle of water, and I always take the label off of it. I don't know why. Maybe just so I don't want... I don't even know who made this. I don't know if it's Aquafina or... Dasani or Sam's Club. I have no idea. Here's the bottom line. What if you, now I know it's not unclean, but if in your heart, what if in your heart you have a strong belief that water in a bottle, bottled by that company, is sinful? Well, guess what? It is not. But for you, it is. You're like, no, Jeff, it's, it's just water. We all know, no, right. But if in your heart you think that bottle of water is wrong, brand new one. I got some more in my office. If you think it's wrong and you drink it, you have committed sin. Third point, this is crystal clear from the passage. It is wrong if it makes a brother stumble. Those are the three crystal clear things. Nothing's unclean of itself, just like that bottle of water. But if someone thinks it's unclean, it is sin for them. And, where do we get this one from? Verse number 20, still there. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. If I know that you think that that bottle of water is sinful and defiled, and I drink it in front of you, I am causing you to sin either internally or externally. And so now I've committed sin, even though I know it's water. And you're like, Jeff, I am thoroughly confused now. Nothing's unclean of itself. If you think it's sinful, it is for you. If I know it's clean, but I know that you think it's sinful, and I partake of it in a way that grieves you or causes you to stumble, now I've sinned. Hold your spot in Romans. Would you look with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians 8. I really should have put the verse before this up. 1 Corinthians 8. As you're turning there, I just want to encourage you, strong in the faith, do not cause weaker brothers to stumble. If you'll think of it this way, there are people who are going through this life with excess moral baggage God did not give them. So go back to the old days before they had plastic at the grocery store. I want you to picture a woman with kind of a big paper bag of groceries in one hand and two big paper bags of groceries in the other. Why would you on purpose run a line of string across the sidewalk and when you see her coming, pull string? Look at her, she just spilled everything. And I think she's skinning her knee. You okay? <laughs> I'd get it on videos, it's awesome. You're like, why would anybody do that? That is cruel. Listen to me. There are people in this room right now who are going, some of you, you're going through life streamline. You're just cruising along. You know about liberty in Christ. You know what the Bible says. You have all kinds of liberties and freedoms. 
I can do that. I don't have to do that. I, my trust is in the Lord. And you're just going through life wonderful. But there are people in here carrying all kind of excess moral baggage God didn't give to them. And if by your actions you're causing them to get tripped up, you are committing sin. You're leading them into sin. 1 Corinthians 8, very similar discussion. This one's about meat offered to idols. I need to read verse 7, and then I'll read verse 8. Here's what Paul's argument is. They're really not gods. But they've offered this meat to those idols. They're fake symphonies. We know there's nothing to them. You say, Jeff, what does this mean? Watch. Ra, Diana of the Ephesians, Baal, Ashtoreth, Moloch, Allah. But these things were sacrificed to them. I know nothing's changed about that meat. It's just meat. But if they've had experience in one of those pagan idolatrous worship services of offering sacrifices, and then I come along and eat the meat that was sacrificed... And they have that connection and they think there really is something to these gods. I lead them into sin. The verse before what we're going to read, verse 7. Paul says, however, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food. Here's the key. I should have included this. Eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. In their mind, okay, you're doing it. I guess I'll do it too. But in their mind, they're doing it as to the idol. Now watch verse 8. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we, eat, if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care. Be careful, thoughtful. So be careful with us, Grace View. I'm asking, be careful with us who are going through life with excess moral baggage. Take care that this right of yours, I know it's not wrong, I can do, okay. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge... I know there's nothing wrong with it. Eating in an idol's temple. Is that? that what are they doing? They're eating, they're eating that there? He says, if they see you eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. You have committed the sin. Even though you say, I know there's nothing wrong with it. Write these three things down quickly. Who is this weaker brother? What is it that they do? I'm going to give you some hints. The weaker brother takes the actions of the strong and can have three different reactions. So the weaker brother may use the actions of the strong, number one, to lose respect for you. So here's a weaker brother. They look up to you. They think, man, they've heard you... They've heard you speak. They've heard you talk about the Bible. They have just utmost respect. They see how you live. You're like a hero Christian to them. What you say is like gold to them. And then they see you doing something or hear that you've done something that they in their heart believe is wrong, though the Bible doesn't say it. All of a sudden, they've lost respect for you. And I will propose to you, you've lost ministry to them. In verse number 16, Paul words it this way. What you regard as good, in other words, your liberty in Christ. It's my liberty in Christ. Right, it's now being spoke about as evil. Your, your weaker brother is talking bad about you because, yeah, I know it's a good thing, your liberty in Christ, but you've offended them, and now you've lost ministry to them. They have no more respect. All, I've seen this, by the way. They have you up here, but they find you do one thing. Or they find you believe one thing, and all of a sudden, you're way down here. You've lost ministry to me. I've seen it. I've lived it. Second thing that happens. The weaker brother is the one who sometimes will take the actions of the strong as a reason to do something truly sinful. Think about that. So, the strong in the faith is doing A. The weak in the faith believes that A is sinful and so they've lost respect because you did A. Watch. I know it's a little confusing the way I'm doing it, but watch. The second thing is the strong in the faith does A. The weak in the faith sees you doing A, and you know what they do? They do B. Well, if you're doing that, I'll do this, and it really is sinful. Or they see you doing A in moderation, they do A in excess, and it truly is sinful. So the weaker brother, they'll get offended at you. 
They'll use what you do to do something truly sinful or thirdly, they may use your actions to do something they are in doubt about and thus sinful. Let me go back to that analogy. Ready? The weaker, and brother see, the weaker brother sees the strong in the faith doing A, and here's what happens. The weak in the faith has so much respect. So in the first scenario, I've lost respect for you. Second scenario, I'm going to do a little different version of what you've done. But in the third one, I have so much respect for you. If you're doing A, then I'll do it too. But in their heart, they, they think it's wrong. And you have now led them into sin. Warren Wearsby writes the following. This is so true. By the way, when I quote someone, I do not endorse everything about this person. I'm, in, I'm using the quote. It's very important. Wearsby solid, though. feel confident. I don't agree with anybody 100%. He writes the following. One man may be able to read certain books and not be bothered by them. While a weaker Christian reading these same books might be tempted to sin. Wiersbe says, but the issue is not how does it affect me? So much as, and by the way, I would add the word only. The issue is not only how does it affect me. That is the first issue. But it's not only how does it affect me. Continue with this quote. He says, it's not how does this affect me so much as if I do this, how will it affect my brother? Will it make him stumble? Will it grieve him or destroy him by encouraging him to sin? Unquote. So here I've got to wrap this up quickly before we move into the four subpoints today. Grace for you. Don't cause people to stumble. How? Do not be the person who encourages someone to eat something or drink something or wear something they think is wrong. Hey, go ahead and eat it, man. It's nothing wrong with it. Sure? I'm positive. Look. See? Nothing happened to me. Enjoy it. Do it. Come on. Do it. Drink some of this. There's nothing wrong with it. Wear some of these. Yeah, but my mom and my dad, they're not here. Wear it. Come on. Have fun. I ain't taking you out wearing that. You got to wear these. Don't do that. Don't be the person who encourages people to participate in things. We alluded to these a couple of weeks ago. Come on, let's play pool. I don't know, man. I feel like playing pool. It's just pool. I don't know. I just kind of... Okay, 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 listen. We won't play pool. Let's play billiards. Oh, okay. I guess we can play billiards. What? What What just happened? I just changed the name. It's anything. It's connotation. Play cards. Listen, it's not in the Bible. It's nothing wrong with it. So you've been taught... Don't be that person. You're like, but Jeff, just a couple of weeks ago, you were very clear that those, I know that. They don't. You don't have to be the one that pushes them to do all kinds of new things. Hey, listen to this music. I don't know. I kind of feel like that. Don't be that person. Hey, you got to read this translation. But they think only one translation is the translation. But don't be the one who pushes your translation on them. You say, hold on, Jeff. Some of the things you just said are really blessings in my life. I'm learning things I never saw before because I'm reading it here. Or this song literally moves me and causes me to worship. I just want them to get it. I understand that in time. But for now, because of where they're at, you're going to cause them to feel sinful, distant from God, dirty, and in extreme cases, they may even start thinking, I don't even know if I'm saved. Guys, you don't want them on their bed at night just feeling dirty and confessing things that of themselves weren't wrong, but they think they're wrong, And they have this guilty conscience. Don't bruise their conscience. Don't cause them to stumble. Four points today. Sub points number one. This is where we left last week. So I want to begin here. Liberty is important. I cannot emphasize this strong enough. Liberty is important. So we're going to kind of summarize this fourth point to the strong. So longer messages to the strong, obviously. Well, four points. Now, this fourth point, we've got four subpoints under the fourth. It's like, wow, a lot of work to the strong. Here's where we finish. You remember this? I asked this question. So, Jeff, hold on, time out. Are the strong in the faith supposed to completely give up their liberty in Christ to keep from offending every potential weak in the faith person in every potential weak in the faith area? 
Are we just supposed to always be bending over backwards? We're going to be doing the limbo, bending over the bars, just going to keep getting lower and lower. We're just going to stifle ourselves. If we do that, where does it end? Here's the real question. If we take every scruple, every hesitation, every doubt, in every area of every week in the faith Christian as mandatory, as have-tos for us, then where's that going to leave us? Do we even have liberty? It might look like this. Let me put it in a way you can understand. So Jeff, in light of this not causing to stumble and not offending, is there a chance we're going to come in next week and the coffee house has been removed? And music has been limited only to a piano and a guy standing behind this doing his arm, singing only hymns. And we're all going to go back to just the King James and we're replacing the chairs with pews and we're taking all the screens down and all technology and there's going to be signs posted that say, don't wear denim, don't wear pants if you're ladies. Guys, you need to have a suit on, preferably a white shirt. Be sure you have a tie on. Ladies, you have to wear dresses. And Jeff's going to start preaching sermons against television and pool tables and cards and all types of other things. Is, is that where we're headed? What did you say? <laughs> I thought you said, Lord, help us. <laughs> Liberty matters. It's important. To write this down, if we take everyone's scruples, hesitations, and doubts as have-tos, I'm going to go from bad to worst. Number one, we would have no liberty in Christ. Hey, there's a guy, he's moved to town. He's got a new one. I heard that he thinks, oh, what does he think? He thinks that maroon paisley rugs are sinful okay we've got to get rid of our maroon paisley rug that jeff stands on when he preaches and oh we got another guy he thinks that metal um podiums are sinful okay we gotta get rid of our we're down to nothing we're getting choked out here we have no liberty so that'd be bad yes it would be bad second thing is worse than that this is what would happen new converts in the room right now like brand new you know what a new convert is they are a blank slate that's why guys like me got to be really careful how we teach and preach the Bible because they're brand new Christians and more likely than not, if we make even a halfway decent connection to the Scripture, they're going to take it. That's what the pastor says. The downfall of taking everyone's scruples as our mandatory have-tos is new converts, blank slates, will get overloaded with unnecessary rules. Rules, rules, rules. Okay, I guess that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong. We have to do that and that and that. and Oh, got to have to go back and... Why have just three services? We're going to have seven services. We're going to meet every... Okay, we got, okay, more rules. Third thing, and this is the worst of all, the unsaved would start to perceive Christianity as rules to earn heaven. All they would see is this. Rules, 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 and a lot of weirdness. That's what Christians are about. That's what they would conclude. So I'm going to propose to you as we looked at last week. Would you go back to Galatians just quickly. Galatians chapter 5. Paul refuses to budge with the legalists. What we called the Judaizers last week. Galatians chapter 5 verse number 1. Paul refuses to budge. Verse, chapter 5 verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. For freedom. Stand firm. Hey, you Galatians. Now, remember, here's the context. Paul went and told these people that lived in eastern Turkey, in the mountainous region, all you have to do to go to heaven is put your faith and trust in Christ. They did. Then he leaves and moves on to tell more people about Jesus. The false teachers come behind them and say, oh, yeah, he forgot to tell you something. You have to get circumcised. And no doubt they brought out Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, showed them in the Bible and confused these people. And Paul didn't tell us these things. And they started telling him, you're not 100% saved unless you get circumcised. Paul says of that issue, for freedom Christ has set us free. You Galatians, don't fall for it. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's slavery they're wanting to put you under. Colossians chapter 2, be on the screen, verse 16. Therefore, Colossians, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Don't let them judge you on that. Stand firm. Don't go back under that yoke of bondage. 
Jeff, what does this mean? I'm going to offer the following. I'm going to get It's going to get subtle. This is subtle, so you really need to think. Pray for clarity here. I've been in this, so I think the Lord's given me some clarity. I just don't have the words to get it across correctly, but I'm going to try this. Legalists have an internal motive, and that's what the Judaizers, the legalists were doing with the Galatians. You need to get circumcised. Legalists have an internal motive of keeping the Old Testament law as a means of ensuring salvation. You need to do these things. And they have some Bible. Look there, the Bible does say, you want to be a Jew? You want to join the people of God? You need to get circumcised. You were born a Gentile. You need to get circumcised. Paul comes along in the New Testament, does not include circumcision, and he says, no, you do not have to do this. Don't fall for that. He even tells them in chapter 5, verse 2, if you get circumcised, you're proving you're not trusting Christ alone. Christ will do you no good. No, I'm doing Christ and circumcision. No, it has to be Christ and nothing else. If you bring in circumcision and the keeping of the law just to kind of seal the deal, then you do not have salvation. What's in your heart? Their heart is to attach works salvation to you. Paul opposes this fiercely. He will not back down. Why? Because grace, God's gift, and law, performing, do not mix. So Paul opposes legalism. Now, by the way, how strongly? We saw it. Remember this? Paul says, those who are trying to do that to you, they're all caught up in circumcision, got their knives out, ready to go after you guys, you Gentiles that put your faith in Christ. I tell you what I wish for them. I wish they would just mutilate themselves. Furthermore, in chapter 1, he says, I wish, this sounds harsh, I wish they would go ahead and die and go to hell because in the whole scheme of things, what's a few decades of a head start in hell where they're headed, what's that matter in the whole scheme of things? Because if they're left to stay here very much longer, they're going to move people into false teaching. They're teaching people to trust circumcision and law-keeping as a means of going to heaven. Paul says, I just assume they'd be a curse, die and go to hell. Just move them on down there. That's where you're going. So did I make that point strong enough? Liberty matters. Paul fights for it. But, here's key. Many scruples. This is important. This is the subtle part. Many hesitations and doubts and concerns and I'm not sure and lists. Many scruples result from a misapplied Bible principle. And we could even say that about the circumcision. Man, there's Bible for that, right? But they had to learn the New Testament message, Christ is enough. Circumcision was only pointing to Christ. I don't have time to teach how this morning it did. But a lot of scruples in people, their lists are nothing more than misapplied Bible truths. Second, here's the important part, that are not attached to uh, to salvation. So they have Bible for why they do what they do. I believe this, I got past, okay. Oh, I see how you made that connection. I'm getting it. I'm getting a feel for why you believe what you believe. But listen, I'm not connecting it to salvation. What are you connecting it to? Just pleasing the Lord. Okay. I see where you got it from. You've misapplied it. You're misunderstanding it. Or you have an incomplete version of that. But I can see where you got that. And what's your motive? What's your internal motive? My internal motive is just to please the Lord. All right. Hey, march on, man. You're good. Okay. So if I could say it this way. I'm going to sum this first point. We're going to the second one. Watch. The difference between being patient with someone and fiercely opposing them to me is twofold. Here's the first question. Is what they're doing a personal practice or is it a public teaching? Think. Is it a personal practice? Hey, this is just something I do between me and the Lord. Okay. Versus, oh yeah, I tell everybody, if you don't wash your sins away in the baptistry, you're not really saved. Hey, whoa, 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 buddy, what are you saying? Yeah, you got to go in the back. I understand you're trusting Jesus. You confessed your sin. You heard about Jesus dying on the cross and the Father said he'd save everyone that calls on the name of the Lord. You've called on Jesus as your Lord. You've confessed your sins. You are trusting him to get you to heaven. But until you wash your sins away in the baptistry, you're not fully saved. Whoa, buddy, we're going to have a problem. You're not teaching that around here. And you keep talking to people about that around here. We're going to escort you out and ask you not to come back. You're like, whoa, Jeff. Okay, that's not as bad as saying die and go to hell. You've got to give me that. That's not nearly as strong as what Paul does. Right? So I'm more patient. But we're, not, we're going to fiercely oppose that. Here's the second thing. Is the motive and the aim to please God? Or is it to earn a relationship with God and earn heaven? Those are two things that I'm going to factor in. Do they have a Bible basis? So here's kind of where I'm falling. If the issue you're making a big deal about has nothing in, 
of it in the Bible, I'm not going to have quite as much patience with that. Some of the things I gave a couple of weeks ago that have a lot to do with externals and appearances and white shirts and electronic Bibles and all those things, I'm just not going to be that patient. You don't even have a Bible passage to bring that. You just totally fabricated that. But if someone over here, hey, it's just my personal thing. I just feel like, I hope, praise the Lord, march on. You're doing, you're doing fine. Very quickly, number two. So liberty matters. We're going to fight for it. But number two, love is important. Love is important. All Christians, this is key. All Christians have differences. I've said this four weeks in a row. It's just part of life. In Romans 14, we've been talking about unclean foods and holy days and Sabbaths and things like that. Say, Jeff, we don't really have that going on around here. Right. I'm going to tell you some simple little things after two years I've even heard that can cause a rub. Just a sample. I've mentioned it. Drinks in the Lord's house. Cup of water. Cup of coffee. Right or wrong. Heard that discussed. Paint colors. Literally. Colors of the paint. The lightness versus the darkness. The shading. The natural light. The brightness versus the darkness. We have differences. Music styles. Other things about music. Spaces. How they're used. Praise the Lord. Love has won the day. But can we just acknowledge... We all have an opinion. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do that that way. I would probably change that. No, no. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 20. Do not for the sake of food. Catch that. That's the emphasis there. For food, Paul's saying. Do not destroy the work of God. The work of God here is not just an individual person. It's the church. That's the work of God. Do not destroy the work of God ever. The work of God must never be destroyed. But especially over things like food and drinks... And styles and lighting and colors, those must never win the day. And so we conclude this. It is good when we love each other enough to voluntarily give up what may grieve others. I don't have to have my way. I have my opinion, but you know I don't have to have my way. What if we ask it this way, guys? I'm going to hit this point quickly and we're going to number three. What if we just simply ask, If I love these people and wanted the eternal best for them, what should I do? Lord, what will result in the most people being the most like Christ? And if it's different than my opinion, and it's just my opinion, and we're not talking about Bible issues, then Lord, let me love people more than my opinions, more than my rights. Halverson writes it this way, quote, You're free to eat meat. But if it offends someone, weakens him, if it tempts a brother who is not at liberty to eat meat, then one must forgo this liberty. In other words, make concession. Just make concession. We don't have issue over meat and days. But we're always going to have differences over something. Third thought this morning. Liberty is important. Love is really important. Ministry is important. Ministry is important. Earlier I made a statement. Weak in the faith person sees strong in the faith doing something they disagree with and all of a sudden they have no more respect for you. You have lost a ministry access to them. Please, strong in the faith Christian, don't hear that and say, well fine, they can get over with it. I can minister to other people. Don't think that way. A lost testimony is not a light thing. Can I illustrate the importance of ministry to you? This, is, this will be the one. The fourth point goes very, very quickly. This one, I need to illustrate it to you. Would you go to Galatians? Go to Galatians again. I want you to see this. Flip back over to Galatians chapter 5. I'm sorry, chapter 2. I want to illustrate this. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2. Helps if I get there. Verse 1. We're going to talk about the circumcision issue again. So see what the scripture says? Just to make a point. Here we go. Paul says to the Galatians, this is the church that had the false teachers come in behind him and say, you've got to get circumcised if you really want to go to heaven. Verse 1. Paul says, then after 14 years, so he was saved, 
He ministers up in Damascus. He gets tutored by the Lord for three years. Somewhere in there, he goes down to Jerusalem just to meet the apostles. He's welcomed in. Barnabas smooths things over. They're a little suspicious of him at first, but eventually Barnabas smooths things over. Then Paul goes back. He goes on a first missionary journey, and then we get what he's talking about here. This whole thing with the Galatians has occurred. So verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, me, Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Me, Barnabas, Titus. Here we go. We've got to go to Jerusalem. Why? There's going to be this thing called the Jerusalem Council. We're just going to decide once and for all. Do Gentiles have to be circumcised to seal the deal of going to heaven? Yes or no? We're going to settle it. Paul says, I know they don't. Do those guys down there think you have to be circumcised? Let's go down there. Let's get all the leadership together. Verse 2. I went up because of a revelation and set before them. I'm going to skip the parenthetical statement just for a moment. He says, I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Guys, here's my gospel. When I go into a town, I say this, 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 and this. What do y'all think? This is the revelation God has given to me. Yes or no? Is that, is that what you've been taught by Jesus? And then in the parenthetical statement, he says, I set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. We had a little private meeting. Only the elite leadership in the church got together. There's the ones, we really, the ones who were taught directly by the Lord, who were walking with the Lord. This is my message. Does it pass the test? Verse 3. He's telling the Galatians, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek, a Gentile. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our liberty that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. They came and they heard my message, came behind me, and they perverted everything. Paul says, verse 5, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Let me translate that quickly. You ready? Watch this. Paul goes down there and he says, I've been teaching people get saved by trusting Jesus Christ alone. He's the Son of God, died on the cross, sufficient to pay for our sins. That's the way to heaven. I add nothing else to it. Do you guys believe we have to add anything else to it? Oh, oh well, uh, 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 Peter has something to say. Paul and Barnabas have something to say. James has something to say. Final conclusion, you're right. Your gospel is pure. There's nothing else to be added. We would ask that they not do these things, but it has nothing to do with salvation. Paul's like, fine, that settles it. Here's my proof. Titus, would you stand? State your name. Titus, what he just said. Yeah, okay, thanks. Titus, uh, quick question. Are you a Gentile? Yes, sir. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Yes, I have. Have you been circumcised? No, sir. Titus, you're saying you've never been circumcised? No, sir. Titus, are you confident you're going to heaven having only put your faith and trust in Christ? Absolutely, 100%. Titus, you get one shot at this. You will stand before the Lord. Eternity is a long time. Hell's really hot. Don't you think you should maybe get circumcised just in case? No, sir, I don't. I'm going to face God having not been circumcised. Amen. And they talked about it. This man saved. But would you flip over to Acts 16? Acts 16, on the second missionary journey, Paul is going to revisit a town that he had started a church there. And a young man on the first trip got saved. And here he's going to come back. And this young man's a little older now and very mature. And Paul is very impressed with him. You've heard his name. Acts chapter 16, verse number 1. So here's the second journey coming back to these towns. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. Second journey, verse 1. A disciple was there named Timothy. Timothy's not like Titus because the Bible says he was the son of a Jewish woman. His mother's Jewish. Who was a believer. She got saved. Believer in Jesus. And his grandmother too. But his father was a Greek. The word was there actually means was. Used to be means he's dead. So here's a young man. Has a Jewish mother. Jewish grandmother. They're believers. He's a believer. His father was a Greek. And apparently his father kept him from getting circumcised. I don't know what that marriage was about. But he's like my son's not getting circumcised. He dies. Verse 2. This Timothy was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconia. He just has a good reputation. Paul wants to take Timothy to accompany him. I want this young man to go with me on the missionary journey. They work it all out. They talk about it. And mom gives the sign off. And the Lord's got his hand on him. And the Bible says, look at verse 3. And he, Paul, took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Timothy, will you go with me, man? I really, yes, sir. I'll be honored. They ordain him, lay hands on him. He's getting ready to go. Hey, by the way, we need to get you circumcised. What? But I thought we don't have to be... No, no, man, this has nothing to do with salvation. Because I'm trusting Jesus only. I understand that. That's why I'm inviting you. I know you're a Christian. But I need you to get circumcised. Why? 
because there's a lot of Jews know that you're half Jew, they're not going to listen to a thing you say if they think you're not circumcised. You have no ministry till you get circumcised. So it's not about salvation. It's about ministry. So if you want to write that down, Titus is not circumcised to prove that salvation is by grace alone. Timothy, a half-Jew, is circumcised in order to open up avenues of ministry to the Jews who would later encounter them. Ministry is important. Romans 14, I'm going to invite you to look at verse 22. I alluded to this, and boy, I've got to talk quickly. Romans 14, 22, Paul says, The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. The faith that you have, I know it's not wrong, okay. I'm going to offer verse 22 as a following. I'm not going to die for this. I'm going to throw it out there to you. Ready? I believe verse 22 is a clue that our liberty in Christ can be expressed in one setting but restricted in another. Watch. You and the Lord... Me and the Lord, I have liberty. I know He's taught me liberty. You and the Lord, liberty. Do it. You and the weaker in the faith brother who thinks that's wrong, don't do it. Restricted liberty. If I could summarize this paragraph, I would say it this way. Hear me. Everyone does not need to know your full degree of liberty. It's okay if you keep us in the dark about some things. Case in points, verse 21. Paul says, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Not to eat meat or drink wine. Let's talk about this just for a moment. I'm going to do a whole sermon on wine and alcohol. But this is a good example of the weaker brother principle. Do you all know that this is much more hotly debated in our day than it was in Paul's day? Have you caught this already? Have you picked it up? Those of you who have been here and we've read the chapter over and over for four weeks now. Have you noticed he talks about days because that's in the Bible He talks about meat, unclean animals. That's in the Bible. And then at the end of the chapter, he slips in this. I hadn't talked about it the whole time. And then he slips in this whole idea of wine at the end. Why is that? It was not the issue in their day that it is today. You live in a day where days and meats are not hot-button issues and where wine and alcohol is a hot-button issue. It was not the hot-button issue in their day. And so I do want to make a few quick points. The first one is this. I mean this. Don't just hear part of what I'm about to say and get emotional and tune everything else out and run with it and go tell everybody. And I know what's going to happen. This is going to end up on the Internet, and I'm fine with that because I'm, I'm confident the whole context will be there. Somebody out there is going to pull something and, aha, see, told you. I knew that about them. I knew that about Jeff and Deanna. And off they'll go. Confirming what they thought. All I will ask, If you feel yourself getting emotional or disagreeing, would you force yourself, one, to hear the whole thing, don't just pull one thing, and force yourself, why biblically do I feel this way? Quick points. I did not have time to put these in your notes. Sorry. If you want to write some notes around, that's fine. I'm going to go quickly. First thing I would say on this issue, it's in the tone of the chapter. Scripture does not forbid wine or the drinking of wine. It just doesn't. And so if you're like, hey, Jeff, if I'm not mistaken, Tuesday finishes your second year here. You know we have a, a recovery ministry on, on Thursday nights. When are you going to start preaching that series on how it's wrong to drink wine and alcohol? We've been waiting. When are you going to drop the hammer on that? I can't. I've made a determination. I don't want to lose anyone. I hope no one goes out here today upset with me and, hey, I agree with that. That was good. Oh, that was funny. That was good. Oh, yeah, it's all coming together. What did you say about that issue? I'm never coming back. Would you at least talk to me and let's talk about these issues? Please. Here's what I can't do. A person, a preacher, a teacher cannot say this. God says, and then make something up. You can't do that. I will not do it. I will say what God says. I invite you to hear the whole thing. Just a sample of text. If you want to write just the references somewhere, you can. Psalm 104, verse 15, talks about how God made wine to gladden the heart of man. Proverbs 31, 1 through 7, talks about... That's the virtuous woman, right? Same chapter, so if we're going to preach that, you have to apply this. Wine is not for kings. Solomon, 
Kings, clouds of judgment, not for you, but it can be given to the sick and the dying and the hurting. Matthew 11, 18 and 19. Oh, I dare you to read it thoughtfully. I dare you to read it thoughtfully. Jesus speaking talks about how his cousin, John Baptist, is really strict. He doesn't eat or drink like anything. Honey and locusts, probably water. And they think he's got a demon. That guy's too strict. You know what they said about Jesus? He, they go around, here's the rumors. He's a glutton. Was Jesus a glutton? No, that's sin. Jesus was not a glutton. He's a friend of publicans, tax collectors. He's friends with them. Why do they say that? Well, he's got one of his 12 disciples as a tax collector. And he's had that dinner with the tax collectors. He's a friend of sinners. He eats with those people. Does he not know that about them? And Jesus says, they say I'm a glutton. They say I'm a drunkard. They say I'm a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Why do they say that? Is he a glutton? No. Why do they say that? Because Jesus and his disciples don't fast when other people are fasting. They had to answer questions. He says, there'll be a time for fasting. Why would they say he's a drunkard? I'll let you figure it out. Was he a drunkard? No, he's not. No, he's not. Figure out why they may say that. John chapter 2, we know that he turns water into grape juice. That's not what it says. I'll say something about that in a moment that will apply. But this tells me something. The governor of the, of the wedding says, Why did you save the best wine until the end? He turned the water into wine. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Deacons are not to be addicted to much wine. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. Apparently, Timothy's a teetotaler. Paul says, Timothy, you need to drink a little wine for your stomach. What does the Bible say? It just does not forbid wine. Second thing, I alluded to it that I would say this. Sorry you don't have notes. There is evidence biblical wine had a low alcohol content. Very diluted. You'd have to drink a lot of it to get drunk. Third thing, I know this. Hear this. You say, oh, you lost me a while ago. I've never listened to anything else. You say, okay, hang on. Scripture clearly forbids drunkenness. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18. Can we have that? Clearly this Bible says this. Do not get drunk with wine. That is debauchery. I can preach against getting drunk. Next, I would say this. Scripture teaches to obey the government. So over here is a substance. You're like, I like this substance. I like doing this with it, smoking it, putting it in. Okay, the government says it's illegal. Case closed. Don't use it. That is sin. Hey, certain age. Don't even ask questions. That is sin. I would also say this. Very important. Scripture teaches wine is extremely dangerous. Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 1. Wine is a mocker. It's going to make a fool out of you, the Bible's teaching. Is it forbidding it? It's just saying it'll make a fool out of you. Strong drink is a brawler. You're going to get in these fights and things. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. It will rob you of wisdom. It will lead you into stupidity. Can I preach against drinking it? No. Can I strongly advise against drinking it? Yes, I can. So, Jeff, what's your stance? Here's my stance. Someone having a drink does not offend me. It really doesn't. If they were to have a drink while I'm there, that I don't think will offend me. But here's my stance. This is just me. I have personally decided not to drink ever. I've had no drink other than NyQuil. Communion two years ago at a local church that I did not know the little prefab. I would have done it anyway, but a little cut, tear the top off. And like, well, what? And like, yeah, that was, oh, okay. All righty, I have now. Up to now, I hadn't. Well, there was one time at a resort where I thought I had an alcohol-free strawberry daiquiri or pina colada. And Matt quickly informed me, no, yours has alcohol in it. I'm like, no, no, it doesn't. I promise. I, I was very clear to the girl. Not, no, you got the glass bottle. Yours, what? Hey, lady, would you please inform me? Oh, no, yours does. I made very clear. We had a mix-up. Literally like a third of a straw. That's my experience with alcohol. So, Jeff, why have you done that? If you just said these others, why not? Not even one time? Let me fly through these. It is dangerous. I can't afford to like it. I can't afford to like it. I've seen too many ill effects of it. See it all the time. It ruins lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Jeff, why don't you try it? 
I can't preach against it, but I can say this. Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Here's what I know about drinking that. It will try to dominate you. I know that. It'll try to dominate you. I don't want to be dominated by it, so I don't want to take the first drink. That's just my stance. But to our point this morning, I never want my action to lead another person into real sin. I don't want them to see me in moderation and then going and getting drunk. Here's what I've determined. I don't need it as a source of joy. I don't need it as a medicine. We have other medicines. I like Mountain Dew and Coke too much. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Very much. Coffee. I don't need that. Yes, I know what Psalm 104 says. i got these other things. Food tastes good. We've got it good in America. We have good clean water. Sweet tea. This is South Carolina. I don't need that. It's dangerous. And a big thing, I don't want to lose a ministry opportunity. I just don't want to lose a ministry opportunity. Paul lived by the principles of love and liberty and ministry. I am not going to have time to read this passage, but would you... Do you have 1 Corinthians 9, 15 to 23? Do you all have that on your handout? 1 Corinthians 9, 15 to 23. Here's what you'll find. I'm not going to read it. Watch this. Paul says, hey, you Corinthians, you remember when I came there and I started that church? Yeah. You remember how you didn't pay me a dime? Right. You know why? Paul says, I worked a side job so that I could preach for free. But Paul, it's your right. If a soldier goes to war... We pay for their way. If a farmer farms, he gets to partake of the fruit, right? If a shepherd has sheep and, and, and cows, he gets some of the milk, right? If someone sows spiritual seed, then they should be able to reap material means so that their, their, their lifestyle is paid for. They're working all week. Paul says, I could do that. That's my right. That's my liberty to demand to be paid. But when I was with you, I restricted myself. I was not paid. Why? Write this down. With Paul, love and ministry always trumped liberty. Love and ministry. Paul had a fear that the Corinthians would think that his message was for sale. And so he has this phrase. Boy, I wish I don't have time. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 15 to 23. Paul uses a phrase over and over and over. I'm going to make a quick statement. I know I've got to wrap up. Listen. Over and over, here's what you'll see, that I might win them, that I might win them. I'm going to propose this to you. You're going to say, Paul's a hypocrite. No, he's not. When Paul was with Jews, it's in the text. When he's with Jews, he acts Jewish. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's how he acts, by Jewish rules. When Paul is with people who are not Jewish, but they've been exposed to the law, he acts like, yep, your laws, are. that's how I live too. When I'm with you, yeah, that's how I live. He has their laws and rules. When he's with people who've not been exposed to the law, they don't even know anything about it. Can you even win them to Christ? Oh, yeah. He just starts talking about how God's the creator. He he doesn't talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He talks about how God's the creator, and he leads them to Christ. And his attitude, yeah. So you're saying Paul's living lawlessly? No, read the text. He's doing what is allowed in the law of Christ, loving people, not going against God's laws. But, man, I can be Jewish, and I can be... Uh, a, pros- a, a, a God-fearer who's kind of studying Judaism but becomes a Christian who's very well-versed in the law. I can be a Gentile who knows nothing about the law, who's a new Christian. I can do that. Hey, weak in the faith, you guys have a lot of scruples and hesitations and you have a long list of things. I can go by your rules. You're saying this Paul a chameleon who, who, who bases his lifestyle on the people that he's with? Yes and no. Not in the way you used it, but here's what he does. That I might win them. I will associate with wherever they're at as much as I can in the law of Christ, not breaking the law of God, but so I can associate, why, that I might win them. Ministry matters. Last thought, conscience. Conscience is important. Verse 21. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. But whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Listen. Protect the conscience of others. Strong in the faith. Don't lead them into sin. Let them grow. Encourage them to keep reading the scriptures. 
But I, I want to straighten them out. No, just encourage them to keep reading. If they ask you questions, then gently lead them to truth. But as much as not bruising the conscience of others, please hear me this morning. Do not bruise your own conscience. Do not. He's appealing to you. Don't bruise your own conscience. People, listen. Don't do things just because everyone else is doing them. You will bruise your conscience. If you do, you will atrophy your soul. You will shrink your soul. Your conscience will get calloused. It will not be reliable. McLean words it the following. He says, someone who lives with a bruised conscience on a regular basis, doing things that they know or they think might be wrong, if they just do that over and over, McLean says, he has started upon a, upon a road that may theoretically wreck his whole moral universe. I'm going to propose this to you. Adults, young people especially. If it's doubtful, I don't know if it's right or wrong. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. But I thought she said some things are clean of themselves. Right? If it's doubtful to you, it's dirty. If you say this, it might be sinful, it might not, I'm not really sure, I'm going to go ahead and do it, I'm going to go ahead and do it while I'm studying to see if it's dirty, you are in sin because you've chosen the activity over your relationship with the Lord by even taking the chance that it might be sinful. Don't do it until you know that it's not sinful. Live with a clean conscience. If in doubt, don't. Write this down. A clean conscience makes a soft pillow. Don't live a life where you go to bed confessing a bunch of things. Just live a life where you don't have to confess. Live with a clean conscience. So verse 23 causes us to finish where we started the first week. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Three categories of actions. Will you write them down? Here's how we'll close. Three categories. There are those you know are right. I know these are right. There are those you know are wrong. I know these are wrong. I've read the scriptures. These are no-brainers. I know these are the right things. Over here is a whole other category. I am unsure of these things. I know some Christians who are doing them. Some think they're wrong. I'm not really sure. I'm unsure. Watch. I know these are right. I know these are wrong. I'm unsure of these. The Bible says that only one of these is godly. It's this category that you have faith. The other two are sinful. What he's saying, I know to avoid category number two, it's obviously wrong. I know to do category number one. Only anything flowing out of that is approved. Anything flowing out of the third category is sin. It's about eyes closed. So you're going to need to study because we have issues. You say, I have some pretty strong opinions on some of the things that you say come up around here, Jeff. Why? Is it opinion? Is it Bible? What's the end game? What if we loved more? Remember, liberty matters. Love matters greater. Ministry matters more than liberty. Conscience matters. So here's my questions. Just before I pray... Is there an activity in your life that you're like, you know what, I have a doubt. I've been doing something. I, I think it might be sinful. Is there something in your life you say, I'm pretty sure it's not sinful, but I might need to study it out before I continue. And maybe someone this morning, here's, this is you. I know something is not sinful. I know it is okay. But I think I've been offending and grieving my brother or my sister, and I think I'm causing them to stumble. And it's time for me to give that up because I love them 